Welcome to uh, the second podcast from the team here at Quad. I'm Adam. Welcome back to the show. Um, and I'm Rebecca. Welcome back. Yeah. And today we are joined by uh, Mr. Daryl Buxton to bring his expertise and the knowledge of film, particularly about Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yeah, very nice to be here. Fantastic. Um, so on the way over here this morning before we started recording, I was thinking, well, it's the second podcast. I need to do some sort of like, welcome to Cinelit 2, Electric Boogaloo. But I didn't want to do Electric Boogaloo because everybody does Electric Boogaloo. So I thought, okay, we could do Cinelit 2, Cine Harder as a Die Hard reference. But then I thought, no, we're covering more than just mainstream Hollywood stuff. So we're covering art house films and titles and things like that. So I wanted to bring in an art house Example, and for the life of me, I couldn't think of an art house sequel. Can you guys think of an art house sequel that has that kind of art house two, more art house <laughs> kind of title? No, I don't think I can. Yeah, I I came up earlier with um, the only one I could think of was that we were talking about two part art movies, and I uh, I went back to the twenties and uh, Fritz Lang's Doctor Mabuse films, um, The Gambler, the first one, and then Inferno. But yeah. that, that doesn't quite you know it doesn't quite well, work. It, so in the sense that the sequel doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a sequel. Like no, yeah, you know, it's, it's not it's not like it's um, the Seventh Seal two Seal Cup <laughs> or something like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, can't um, see. We're, we're talk, talking about Jodorowsky today, and he uh, um, he's been planning for years and years and years. And I think he, now he's ninety; he still wants to make it. I think Son of El Topo, which is a, a sequel to one of his best known films. So yeah, we, uh, maybe if 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 only he'd made that, we could have at least gone with with Son Son of Quadcast or something like that. You know, Son of Quadcast, the Curse of Cinelit. Yeah, yeah. Be quite nice. Electric Boogaloo is is the the benchmark for these things. So I think. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder how many people know that name who have never seen the film. <laughs> Probably quite a lot. I think because <laughs> I don't think it was a massive hit, was it? But let's move on to other massive hits. Actually, in the world of art house, let's move on to Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, one of the major names in art house cinema coming from the 60s um experimental period uh, and then making a a handful of movies in the late 60s and early 70s that have probably stood the test of time just because of out there they are there's no one making films like him then and there's probably no one making films like him now so um yeah let's 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 begin with probably his famous you mentioned earlier el topo one of the early key standout films in the acid western genre, which is having a bit of a renaissance at the moment with certain uh, filmmakers. Um, and westerns are always on people's radars. But well, I want to make a western. My favorite uh, Tarantino's just made his two westerns. Two? Is it two westerns? Yeah, two yeah, lessons, yeah. yeah. Two, um, two and a half, arguably. There's the, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure, yeah, yeah with these outlaw, outlaw bounty. Outlaw bounty, I think. Bounty's Law. Bounty Law, Bounty yeah. Law, that's it, yeah. with his like, TV show. So Westerns, are, uh, filmmakers always seem to want to make a Western, even though the genre has probably been dead for 30-plus years. Um, it's always been on, on the highlights. And certain filmmakers, when they say they want to make a Western, they're, they're thinking about Alejandro Jodorowsky. So uh, El Topo, yeah, Daryl, what do you reckon about El Topo? What impact did that film have on, on, on cinema? 
Yeah, uh, a big one, I think, because it fits right into that acid Western uh, sort of thing, which had been going on for a few years in in Hollywood and and beyond, um, sort of on the fringes of Hollywood, really, since about the mid-60s with the Monty Hellman's films. And then the big one, of course, was Easy Rider, which which put its cowboys on bikes, and uh, but but still had them riding through all those great sort of uh, um, Western-type uh, desert locations. And um, then El Topo comes along the following year and um, really hit big with the with with the heads and and uh, you know the sort of counterculture. Who I think were, were sort of after seeing Easy Rider, everyone was looking for or a certain part of the the youth market was was looking for what's going to be the next Easy Rider. And El Topo, I think, came along at just the right time. I don't think it's a film that was necessarily influenced by anything other than Jodorowsky wanting to make it, you know. Although, again, he'd have clearly been aware of what was going on in the American counterculture. And, of course, the other big thing is the um, the so-called spaghetti western craze of, of the 60s and into the early 70s which again filters into El Topo. So I think if you'd seen Easy Rider and if you'd seen uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly in the year or two previously, El Topo is sort of those two films combined with a bit of Jodorowsky magic sort of thrown in as well. So, so Becky, you uh, you witnessed these films for the first time this weekend. Uh, let's 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 have your say. Do you want to try and boil down El Topo into like a paragraph to explain what the film's about? <laughs> Basically, I watched the first five minutes um, last night, and I was just like, "What the?" <laughs> and then uh, it took a while to get going, and I was just like. I was talking to myself. I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. Like, I was like, no, I feel like I need to be on something to understand this film. Um, but then after a while, I started to sort of get into it. And I was, towards the end, I was intrigued, which I thought meant that I probably enjoyed it. Because if I disliked the film, I'd have been like, oh, gosh, no. I think I got, like, the biblical references and, and things like that. So... I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but I, I do think I can appreciate it, if, that, if that's really what I can say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, I, I wasn't around at the time when the films came out, so I didn't watch them then. But yeah. when I came back to them in the, like, the 90s and they were reissued, I, I, I've been a big fan of David Lynch at that point. And I got onto that stage in my, in my readings of David Lynch that... I stopped trying to impose meaning on watching the films and just went along for the ride. And, and, and I find that I find now I, every time I watch a Lynch movie or his, his Twin Peaks things, not putting meaning on it and just watching it and going along for the ride, I get so much more out of it. And so when I came to Jodorowsky, I was fully prepared just to not understand everything and just just be swept along with it. So yes, yeah, so I think probably I had, I, had a, I had a different first viewing from from from, from other people did. Um, it it, it, is, it is interesting. Is it is it is it the film that you need to be on something because they were on something while they were making it, <laughs> and you know it became famous because of that? I, I think um, f- films films like El Topo and like Easy Rider and like a lot of that counterculture stuff from uh, around that era, sort of sixty seven to seventy three, almost works as drugs. You know. You 
you don't necessarily need to be on something other than the, the celluloid. Um, yeah. I think while while you're watching the movies, it, it they 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 sort of work in the way that LSD or something would as well. You they were know. trying to recreate the trip sort of thing, a la yeah, and uh, and, the, and the best of the films, and, and 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 a lot of them do manage that. You know, you 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 watch something like Vanishing Point or um, Two Lame Blacktop, for instance. You know, both of which you could you could almost say are on the fringes of the acid western you know again with with motor vehicles going through those amazing sort of desert desert settings and with the characters having a sort of 1970s viewpoint that's not dissimilar to what you'd what you'd see in a cowboy movie you know yeah that's sort of like um, that came, like uh what's one called like, like like a depression this sort of like yeah uh, the, the world's about to end there's no point in anything that the what's, what's the word what's the word i'm looking for sort of apocalyptic nihilism yeah, yeah, sort of yeah, thing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And this occasionally transmits to the the, the film the, the visuals themselves, like the the end of Two Lame Blacktop, um, which is another uh, a Monty Hellman movie where um, the film actually jams at the end and 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 the frame burns up, and we we never actually see what the ending is. And if that's not movie drugs. Mm. I don't know what is so. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that you don't necessarily need to be on something to appreciate these films because that's that's sort of infused into the films anyway. Yeah, and I agree with Adam in the sense that you sort of you're there for the ride to the point when I was watching it, it was like I was excited to see what will happen next because any anything could be in the next scene. It's sort of like an experience, yeah, like a drug. You know? Yeah, I've been watching uh, the reissued Monty Python episodes recently, and it's been weird watching Jodorowsky films and then watching a couple of episodes of Monty Python and so on because they almost follow the same structure. You know, they've 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 Jodorowsky's films are often, like you say, Rebecca, they're very sketchy from scene to scene to scene. It could connect with something you saw five minutes ago, or it might not. Yeah. And you mentioned the biblical thing there, and we were talking earlier about this and saying how uh, a lot of fans of El Topo describe it as a very biblical Western in the sense they what the term they use is they say it's an Old Testament and New Testament film because um, without, without giving anything away or going into any detail there's there's a big shift in in the middle of the movie and although ostensibly it plays like a spaghetti western for its entire length the first half and the second half are actually very different and they're almost about a very different character within the same body so uh yeah you've you've, you've got this real sense as you say of you, you just don't know what's coming next and i think that applies to pretty much all of his work so th- 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 this film did have like a massive impact on, as we talked about, that kind of acid western scene and beyond. Mainly, I guess, because it played midnight shows. One of the original midnight movies, wasn't it? it played midnight shows for ten years, seven years after it, after it was released. This all happened in New York. It was a phenomenon in New York in in the early seventies. There were two two main theaters, one called the Elgin Theater and one called the Waverly, and they um, they used to put on these midnight shows as a new form of uh, cinema exhibition. And because a lot of this cult cinema was emerging at the time and couldn't necessarily get conventional release and conventional distribution. The Elgin in particular, they try out these films over a week or perhaps over a weekend or something 
and found that they were turning people away. There were, you know, every every sort of freak and misfit in New York was coming out. That was quite a few. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, El Topo in particular. John Lennon was 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 seen there a couple of times. John and Yoko went to see that at, at the Elgin and um, uh, and and came out and loved it. And so you'd get celebrity names turning up, but you'd you'd get you know every every sort of Borman misfit in in the area would would be out there as well. And these films, yeah, they, they, they were playing for, hard to believe now, but some of them were playing for, for seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know, we're not talking about weeks or months here. They were sort of on every weekend. And, of course, the, the, the film that people will be aware of as being part of this phenomenon came some years later with the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was the, the sort of biggie. And that's, that's like poster boy of the midnight movie. But, yeah, El Topo was really the film that kicked that whole scene off. OK, so I'm moving on. You mentioned John Lennon and Yoko, and that does have a point to play in Jodorowsky's next movie, uh, The Holy Mountain. Very much, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, John Lennon and Yoko liked it. Uh, I think I think the other Beatles were involved. George Harrison. George Harrison. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, George Harrison. Mr. Film in the Beatles. Yeah. 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 He 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 and, and they pumped money into well, basically into Jodorowsky to make another movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they were involved in that, and equally were involved in suppressing the film afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's like yeah. John Lennon funded it, and Alan Klein suppressed it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Beatles well, manager. You know, Al- Alan Klein was was sort of involved with the Beatles, then. he he was sort of the contractual situation is all very weird, and I'm sure Beatles experts know more about it than I do. But uh, but I think Lennon was was signed to him. He was he was Lennon's manager, and uh, and and he'd got some sort of deal with the Beatles as well. And Lennon and Yoko came out of El Topo and, and, and just sort of said to Alan Klein, look, this, this film's amazing. We want to see more from this guy. Give him what he needs, you know. And uh, um, Holy Mountain was the result three years later and George Harrison had seen El Topo and was a big fan and was very supportive of, of, of Jodorowsky too. And um, Holy Mountain's a weird, weird example of seeing a filmmaker who, who's used to working not just in film, but in all of the other sort of artistic endeavours that he did with very little, you know, with no money, no resources, just making the best of what he's got around him and using his friends and so on. And then suddenly he's given this blank cheque and um, that could have easily gone overboard. It could have killed the film. It could have made it into a situation where he'd got pressure being put on him. Oh, you must do this, you must do that. It's my dollar, you know, and uh, and that never happened. And he turned out to make a film that was even better than El Topo, in my view. And again, Rebecca, even <laughs> even, even less easy to understand, I think, but, but great to watch again in terms of it being a sort of sketchy set piece, what, what the hell's coming next sort of thing. But yeah, as you say, Adam, uh, Abco, Alan Klein's company, uh, Rolling Stones fans will be aware of this because he kept their albums out of the marketplace for years and years and years. Took me ages to get copies of things like Aftermath and Between the Buttons. And he did the same with film. You know, unfortunately, he he owned the rights for years to um, Jodorowsky's big three movies. 
So this is why audiences haven't seen them, because you know, as a cinema programmer over the years, that they've sort of popped up very, very sporadically here and there. Well, Holy Mountain was not available from pretty much from the 70s through to, I want to say the early 2000s, when it received a DVD release, I believe. Um, but prior to that, it wasn't played. I don't think it was played. It was, they were no, basically no. hyping it as a banned film, mm. effectively. You know, all the same ways that you would, when DVDs were pushing out films and they were saying, banned for 30 years, banned for 30 years, banned for 40 years. They used the same style of marketing for Holy Mountain which wasn't banned um but you know it was suppressed i guess it was it was kept from the the, the public yeah but uh, here here suppressed not by any sort of authority or any sort of moral group no. but by by the guy who funded it yeah yeah who just yeah it just it just wasn't out so uh, but yeah it was interesting that so it had that it had that sort of like forbidden fruit kind of appeal for me when i first saw it it was like it's like it's not banned but it's banned is it banned or is it when it's it's certainly out there uh, and it's an 18 certificate so it's it's I think I think it's an 18 certificate, yeah. Yeah. so it's pretty out there, you know. It, 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 I, so I I, I I was watching it in the same way as I was watching all those re-releases of those video nasties and uh, and some of those films that have been banned. So I, I had it in that same category, which kind of coloured my view of it as I was watching it. I must admit, I was going to ask, did did it sort of live up to to the the status that you'd built up in your mind? No, well, it, I had to watch it a second time with once I once I'd taken away all that. Well, it's going to be a bit like Cannibal Holocaust, isn't it? Oh, it's going to be a bit like what you know, whatever horror movie that I've been banned. It's yeah. like no, it's not. It's not that. So I had to rewatch it with a different with a different viewpoint, and yeah, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it again went along for the ride <laughs> rather than really enjoying the story what about you becky i was gonna say i was the opposite i purposely didn't research anything um before watching the film and i was taken back by the you know the violence within the films i i think that's a good way to approach a filmmaker like yolorovsky is to go in yeah. absolutely cold like that so yeah. what what was that like can you can you sort of describe you know uh, what watching the films and what was going through your mind as they sort of panned out? Because clearly you were going in as a, a complete blank slate. So how how did the film sort of play for you? Again, I think I was used to sort of going by scene by scene, but it's just, yeah, I was just trying to figure out if there was sort of a, <laughs> a political reason behind it. To a certain extent, I also as well started to analyse it again, which I don't think you should do. But yeah, it, I think it, it took me back for a while. But I, I watched that after watching El Tapo, so it was I sort of sort of knew what it was going to be about. <laughs> I, I always find like Gorosky is very much an emotional filmmaker, where it's less about it's less about what's happening and it's like more about what emotion you're getting from that scene. So hence the hence the violence, hence yeah. the sex, hence the nudity, hence those those various different elements. Yeah. They're done to evoke an emotion, evoke a reaction, rather than to tell a story i guess in any ways um which in that way is very similar to, to lynch i think lynch works in a similar way where he creates moodscapes not yeah. to want for the ones of sending too arty um but he creates those things where you are going along in the journey and that adds to that feeling of, of a trip i guess yeah yeah i, I think yodorovsky sees himself as as being um a, a a sort of mixture of like zen master philosopher shaman <laughs> deity any, yeah yeah indeed yeah he, well he, he he does actually you know 
know, in, in across his films, you know, you will hear the words I am God and I yes. am not God at, at various times, which, 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 you know, just goes to confuse the matter, I suppose. But uh, um, he doesn't even know himself whether he's a he God or not. He just needs more confidence as a filmmaker. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. But he needs to believe all, himself. all of that sort of shamanism and all of that sort of weird philosophy, and of course, you around, around the time he's making these films, you've even got this sort of mysticism feeding into, into mainstream TV with things like the, the Kung Fu TV series and stuff, which is almost like a television version of, of, of Alejandro Jodorowsky, you know. But yeah, this, this all actually feeds into his movies. I think, I think what, what you're seeing on screen is a projection of, of his own character. And it's telling that in most of his movies, either he's the main actor in them or in, in some of the later ones, he starts using um, family members in, in major roles. So it's all very, very, very personal. And it's all very, very, these are the, this is the contents of the inside of my skull sort of thing. Yeah, well, his, yeah. his son, Brontis, was the little boy in El Topo. Yeah, wasn't yeah. It? it was Brontis, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so he's always had that family connection. But like you say, he's a filmmaker who started off like using what he had and he had a baby. So yeah. let's use it. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a horse, I've got a baby, let's make a Western. Yeah, yeah. Bron- Brontis tells a great story on, on a, do- a Jodorowsky documentary, actually, where at the start of El Topo, um, there's that scene where um, the, the Jodorowsky, the, the cowboy character and his, his, his naked son ride in, into, into the desert. And he tells his son, he says, you were seven years old you know you 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 must bury your favorite toy and this picture of your mother and he does that and brontis says that um years later i think about 25 years later he he was together with his dad and and he he sort of said you know you've now you've now reached the age where we we need to dig up those things and Jodorowsky had actually gone into Brontis's back garden and and he'd buried this really nice plush looking teddy bear and and a more recent colour photograph of his mother and he didn't tell him what they were and he sort of dug these things up and thought oh it's it's the stuff from El Topo except it, it's it's not it's like new nice looking versions of it so uh, again. I think he was sort of scratching his head trying to say, what's the message my dad's giving me here? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he got something out of that. And uh, I think that's a nice little story and uh, shows that uh, Jodorowsky sort of does connect his, his life and his family with his art and that things can filter from reality into his movies and then back again, you know. And uh, I, th- I think um, if you asked his other kids, they've probably all got very similar stories of things that he's done for them that sort of filter into the family life and into the art and into whatever's up there in Jodorowsky's brain. Yeah, he just wanted a gift token, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and he had to go and dig up his teddy bear. Um, yeah, very, very at least he, he got a new teddy bear out of it. You know, the the old one was probably rotting out in a, a Mexican desert somewhere. You yeah, know. I'm sure the 50 year old Brontis was was happy with a, with a, oh, yeah, with a teddy yeah. bear. Yeah, cool. Okay, let's move. Let's move on to um, Jodorowsky's later stuff because after that point. He started to find it really difficult to get things done, get things made. Um, uh, what, I want, what I'd like to talk about is his, uh, is his adaptation of Dune, which uh, is now being made by uh, Denis Villeneuve, which comes yeah, out at Christmas, yeah. and early footage is just being released on the internet now, of, uh, apparently, um, uh, this morning. But Jodorowsky was the one who had a first crack at uh, Frank Herbert's Dune. A documentary was made about this, uh, 
five, ten years ago, something yes, like that. Just, yeah. just called Jodorowsky's Dune. Jodorowsky's yeah, yeah, yeah. Dune. And it, it is absolutely astonishing the amount of work that went into that project for it not to get made. Yeah, yeah. One one of one of the big, big occasions where that's happened. Obviously, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of sort of unfilmed projects you know, if not thousands, but this is perhaps the best known one in movie history or one of one of the top two or three. Yeah, he just poured his heart and soul into it. You know, they did loads and loads of sort of pre-production drawings and uh, loads and loads of preparation. And then ultimately it just never happened. The rights then got sold to Dino De Laurentiis, who himself then went through a process of years and years before we ended up with the, the, the David Lynch version. So, uh, yeah, Jodorowsky, of course, then again, he, he, he never wasted anything. And um, he kept a lot of those ideas from the um, preparations on Dune and filtered that into moving into the world of comics. Yeah, and uh, teamed up with the the great artist uh, Mobius. Well, that's and, where he uh, first worked with Mobius, wasn't it? On that on, production on June, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so again, Mobius again a, a sort of, if if you want to put it this way, wasted years of his life working on 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 June. And uh, again, look, luckily they were able to sort of salvage a lot of that work rebrand it as something else and uh, um, under various titles they've, they've sort of used a lot of that work or a lot of the, um, the the sort of ideas that they had and notions that they had and designs that they had and and filtered those into into their comic books but uh, but that movie in itself has i mean you talk about influences of, we've talked about influences of Jodorowsky's had on cinema that failed production had massive influences on cinema generally i mean mainly because of the alien connection with yeah. the crew that was working on that yeah. Um, uh, basically moved off from that onto alien so geiger was involved sure. um Dan O'Bannon was involved on June. Uh, sadly, they didn't bring over Salvador Dali as the Emperor of the Universe <laughs> onto June, which would have been onto Alien, which would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, so, so the impact Yodorowsky is having, even when films haven't been made of his, is is impactful on, on cinema in general. Yeah, I, th- I think um, all all we've got of June is is the is the the sort of designs and and um, the sketches and so on and and. Um, and and the, and the script and what have you, but yeah, to to get an idea of of what this might have looked like as a movie, yeah, there there are there are indicators out there, such as Alien. You know, you can get a flavour of what we might have seen and what it might have been like. As you say, Salvador Dali was going to be involved. Orson Welles was was um, cast as well. So um, the ambition of the project was just wilder than than anything you'd seen. And then, of course, what happened is a much smaller movie production much cheaper sort of movie production comes along a little thing called star wars a couple of years Never later and that, no and that that changes the game you know but uh, i'm just thinking about this in relation to having mentioned mentioned star wars there yodorovsky said about well, while he was working on june he, he he was quoted as saying that um he didn't like the hardware in science fiction films this whole sort of oh it look it looks like a fridge in space sort of thing you know and um, if you look at the designs from june you know they're much more organic mm. in in a way again that's been imitated by by uh, more recent filmmakers you know this this idea of 
oh, it's it, it's it's got to look like a sort of um, a, a sort of phallic shaped rocket, or it's got to look like a sort of wheel in space, or it's got to be white with a, a few smudges on it to make it look like it's been used. No, no, no. Mine, mine's going to look like a cat or, you know, a lion or some weird um, spotted creature, you know, with all of these strange fins and things on it. And it's just going to sort of float through the galaxy and it's going to sort of uh, move around and uh, not have any sort of shape or form or anything. This is the sort of thinking we've got un- unsurprisingly from Yodorovsky, you know, sort of trying to reinvent what hard science fiction is by softening it and making it a lot more sort of organic and a lot more fluid. Yeah, you saw that. Obviously, you saw the results in Alien. Obviously, the very organic designs sure, sure. of Geiger very much came to the fore there. Um, I guess that's a, that's a fascinating period in, in cinema where before pre-Star Wars, when studios were funding science fiction films, I guess they were looking at 2001, I Yes, Dark Star. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, again, it's we, we, we talked about the acid western, and you've got acid science fiction going on post-2001. Yeah. Silent Running, Dark Star, Yodorovsky's Dune would have fitted right into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on to... Um, <laughs> let's move on to his... I want to say comics work, but not so much, work, but basically, he's created his own religion, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty Basically, much yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And, and that shouldn't that does not come as a, does that come as a surprise, Becky? After watching uh, El Topo and Holy Mountain, that he's developed his own. Um, I, I, want, I don't want to say religion, but like method of living life. Um, yeah, a, a philosophy, a philosophy or, or, on life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think so because I, I was trying to think like back to if I was watching this, you know, when it was released, and um, it's the counterculture. You would have been fed up of playing by the rules and the establishment so it's kind of like it would be really rebellious and it's just anything goes philosophy um so yeah i'm not surprised at all no i mean it was, it was often said that if you if you if you've not seen yodorovsky in the 80s and his films he didn't make it, you just nip to paris he'll be on the streets giving tarot readings <laughs> so <laughs> he obviously moved he moved yeah. to paris in the in the i guess in the, in the late 70s yeah, yeah. And, and then just end up working in comics extensively from like late 70s through to now basically yeah yeah that's that's the weird thing about his career is that as i say he's 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 more of a sort of renaissance man than he is a filmmaker he's only made eight feature films he's been he's been working in film he first picked up a camera in 1953 so you're going back nearly 70 years and in that time, in, in well over 60 years, he's made eight feature films, he's made one short, and he's, he's made a recent documentary. And even then, you sort of divide that up and you say, well, that's, that's one film every eight years. No, it doesn't work like that. He, he makes his films in batches. You know, he sort of made three in the late 60s, early 70s, then a long gap to 1980, then another long gap to the end of the 80s where he made two films together, and then a 25-year gap before he made his, his two recent biographical films. But in between, as you say, it's been other obsessions, painting, sculpture, and then the big one being um, his immersion into the world of of comics which to a certain group of his fans is 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 what they know him for oh sure yeah i mean uh, yeah if you don't watch films then the yeah. guy's the, the guy's a comic book writer so mm. um yeah fascinating fascinating 
career here. I want to say career diversion, but it's not. I guess I guess the films are the <laughs> it's, career it's diversion. A, it's, it's a life. It's a life. Yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and we were talking about this earlier, but that, that, that sort of like creative, um, those filmmakers like from from the seventies, and you were talking about this, Daryl, about how like they're not filmmakers, even though we talk about them as filmmakers. They're not filmmakers. They are multimedia artists. They are just creatives, I guess, in the in the, in the broadest sense of the term. Yeah, I, w- I was trying to put a little list together of people who are sort of representative of that, and it's not it's not even just a, within a sort of short period of time that this happened because the the names that I came up with span decades, almost a century. You know, Jean Cocteau was like that. He was a filmmaker. Well, he he made films, but he 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 was so much more than a filmmaker, as we know. I suppose you can put someone like Orson Welles into that, who sort of came into movies from radio and from theatre, and then went off and did all kinds of other things, became a director, producer, actor. Um, but again, like Jodorowsky, struggled to raise money for personal projects, and so would often have long periods where he didn't make films and would go off and do other things. More recently, in the past 30 years or so we've had people like clive barker and the the aforementioned david lynch who've been sort of sculptors tactile artists painters in barker's case a, a playwright and then were sporadically done done movies when they've had something to say via via that particular medium and of course with lynch we've recently seen him make um his uh, 18 hour spectacular with the the new the new twin peaks that set me thinking uh, you know what what if Yodorovsky got offered you know what if netflix <laughs> came to Yodorovsky and said you know do you want to make a 10 part tv show for for us um and it's hope I, for son of tell el topo yet i i can't i can't imagine what we'd get but uh, but yeah son of el topo is is, is another like June that's perhaps his his second most famous unfilmed project he wanted to do son of el topo you know very very early on he's been talking about that since the 70s the nearest that came to fruition was an incarnation of it that was going to include one of Jodorowsky's sons I, I, I think he was going to use Brontis again um, alongside Marilyn Manson and Johnny Depp so uh, <laughs> um, whether whether it's unfortunate or fortunate that we, we never saw that version I don't know but he's, he's, he's now 90 and he's still talking about making this film mm. um I, I wonder if it's just something that he says to interviewers, you know, a bit like I suspect David Lynch's One Saliva Bubble and Ronnie Rocket were, were sort of projects that, that he'd got a ready answer when, whenever an interviewer sort of said, what's your next project? You know, I wonder if Jodorowsky's Son of El Topo is a real thing or if it's just something to dismiss awkward interview questions. But yeah, there was apparently serious talk of, of Johnny Depp and Marilyn Manson getting involved and um Jodorowsky has always kept up with current trends and um and apparently Manson was invited on board because Jodorowsky's a fan so uh well I can I can see I mean both of those like mid-90s I mean Johnny Depp had just done Dead Man, yes, mid nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. one, one of the great acid westerns, I guess. You yeah, look at that. sure, sure. So that's it, the, perhaps the last great one. Yeah, so, yeah. so maybe that would have fed into to Jodorowsky's yeah. thinking with the sequel of and and you know he's 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 working with Terry Gilliam as well. He's doing mm. the Hunter S. Thompson thing and yeah. so on. So yeah, yeah, you can see how an actor like Johnny Depp is is someone who he can do the commercial stuff. He's got feet in both camps. You know, he can do commercial, but he's very much in the world of somebody like Jodorowsky and very much on 
Jodorowsky's radar, I'm yeah, sure. Particularly at that time as yeah, well in the 90s, yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. I think uh, unless there's anything else you'd like to bring to the uh, table of Jodorowsky, I think I think that is interesting about the multi multidiscipline art forms because that's one thing I would say. I think that's missing from filmmaking in general. Yeah. There's so many filmmakers whose only influence are other films. Yeah. And they come through and they're making films, and I I blame Tarantino for this completely, but <laughs> it, 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 it is that. <laughs> I don't blame Tarantino, but but it is that mentality of like where they are making films because they watched films and they. Watched watch more films and they know lots of films yeah. whereas a lot of film great the really great filmmakers come through and they're influenced by music they're influenced by dance they're influenced by art they bring other art forms into their filmmaking and make them live and breathe yeah yeah, yeah. well we did a course here a few years ago called the video store generation and and tarantino again is is sort of the poster boy for that mm. but the filmmakers who call themselves the video store generation aren't sort of tarantino based you know they're 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 the more serious side of of commercial american filmmaking at the moment alexander payne wes anderson paul thomas anderson george clooney and people like that and you're right a lot of their work is based on the fact that they grew up watching movies you know they grew up in the 80s and they um they went to the video store every weekend and um i think as these filmmakers sort of progress you are starting to see other influences creeping in but yeah primarily it comes from mum and dad taking us to the pictures renting three videos at a weekend whatever and yeah, we need things to open up, I think. We need more filmmakers. Well, this this is perhaps an impossible thing to say, but yeah, we need more filmmakers like David Lynch and Alejandro Jodorowsky. <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, of course, you know... We need more the, one-offs like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. So you can't demand more filmmakers like this because they're sort of once in a generation. So Yeah, yeah. And, and it's refreshing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that bombshell. <laughs> yes, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you next month. <laughs>